You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's uh, go ahead and pray as we jump into to the text. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Um, God, thank you that uh, uh, as we're studying through the last week of your life uh, in the book of Luke, God, thank you that... Uh, uh, you, you show us these many different stories. Um, thank you for um, whenever anybody wants to ask you a question, you always shut them down with, with, with the word and with what uh, is said as far as uh, Jesus. And so, God, as we get ready to, to jump into the text, God, I pray that uh, people would hear it, that I would hear it, um, that ultimately, as much as I'm preaching from up here, I'm actually should be preaching in front of a mirror. And so, God, thank you for that. Um, God, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you also for um, just Pastor Joe and, and what he's doing um, away from the church and, and that he's raising funds and, and getting a week away, a weekend away with his wife. And so, thank you in your name. Amen. If you guys want to turn to Luke 20, 27 through 47, that is going to be our text uh, that we're going to be studying tonight, that we're going to be going through. Um, so uh, I titled this message, The God of the Living, because I think it's very important. This isn't the God of the dead or anything, and, and this is something the Sadducees want to, want to argue with Jesus about. And so uh, I kind of want to set the stage for you as far as what's going on here. Uh, so... Uh, the last couple of weeks in the book of Luke, uh, we've, we've had the triumphal entry where Jesus gets on a donkey and he rides into Jerusalem and, and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the, the high priests, they're, they're a little ticked off at Jesus because that was supposed to be their thing. They were supposed to ride in with this spotless lamb on a donkey so that they could slaughter it at Passover. And instead, Jesus took that spot, uh, which is actually really interesting because he is the lamb of God. He's, he is the perfect lamb for us, you know, and, and then uh, Jesus uh, ends up weeping over Jerusalem, you know, we, we heard about that a couple weeks ago. And then Jesus, as he rides into town and stuff, he, he goes to the temple and he, he ends up cleansing it, you know, he, he flips over everything and, 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 you know, he starts whipping, you know, the animals and driving them out, you know, and, and I always remember, you know, that, 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 that little keychain thing, whatever it says, WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, just remember, there's always that one point where he flipped over tables and was like whipping people. So it's totally within the realm of what I could do, too. You know, I don't have to just be loving and, and be nice uh, either. You know, and, and the Sadducees were the ones that were in charge of this. And, you know, so they're, they're pretty ticked off, you know. And so now it's, it's Jesus versus the religious people. You know, he set himself up for this. He, and, and, and I think it was totally in, in his plan to do this. And so then, you know, they, they, they go and they question Jesus. They're like, well, what about, uh, you know, uh, he, he told them about the parable with the wicked tenants, about how Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, of the, of the, of the body of Christ, you know, and, and the, the high priest and everything were going to reject him. And then, you know, he's going to be the cornerstone that, every, that everything happens, you know, and it's, it's the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on a stone will be broken, and every, anyone who it falls on is going to be crushed, you know. And, and then we, we learned about if we really wanted to have an argument, let's uh, open up with uh, politics and religion, you know. They say, hey, who are we supposed to pay, you know, are we supposed to actually pay taxes? And Jesus is like, uh, show me the coin. Oh, that's Caesar on there? Give to Caesar what Caesar wants. I'm calling you to me, you know. Um, 
Pharisees do just that, you know? I mean, if you want to look at, look at arguments on, on, on politics and, and, and religion, go to Facebook. You can check out a bunch of them. I know just recently I posted one that had nothing to do with voting one way or the other. And people like freaked out like, oh, you got to vote this way because this person is this way. Or, hey, you got to vote for this way because, you know, this is the ground that this person stands on. And I'm like, do they believe in Jesus? You know, and they're like, well, you got to look at the platform that they're on, you know, whether they're, they're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Tea Party, whatever platform they're running on, you know. And it's like, for me, I don't care. I still serve a king who rules. You know, at the end of the day, Jesus is still on there. And so, you know, we're, we're going to jump in and, and we're going to read this. So it, it, and and this, is, this is the funny thing, because now more people are coming to argue with Jesus. They're coming to ask him more questions. So let's jump into Luke 27 through uh, 47. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother, if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. Not uncommon, you know. And the, the second and the third also took her. And likewise, all seven left with no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of resurrection but that the dead are raised even Moses showed this in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob now he is not God of the dead but of the living for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared ask him any questions. Then he said to them, He said, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Thus David, or David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And in hearing all of the people, he said to his disciples, Beware the scribes who walk around in long robes and love greeting in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Excuse me. You ever get that uh, you're finally done arguing about something? And then somebody else decides to jump in about something else that's kind of related, but totally opposite of what you guys were arguing about. I know like me and Andrew, we could argue about like Chevy and Ford or, or Chevy and Dodge or something like that. And then, you know, someone else decides to come in about a foreign automaker. And it's like, what? We weren't even talking about you or talking about that, you know? Um, 
I could imagine Jesus uh, wrestling, you know, kind of like a wrestling deal, you know, like, uh, what is it, like WrestleMania or something like that? What is the new one? It's uh, John Cena and um, who's the other guy? Uh, Brock Lesnar, you know. They're, they're two that are going at it, you know. They're supposed to be going at it in November or December, you know. And I, I could see uh, John Cena going at it, you know, with him and then finally beating him. And then The Rock comes out. And it's like, wait, I just got done. I, this is not part of the contract. This isn't part of the deal. But he still has to take him on, you know. And this is, this is exactly what it feels like, I'm, I'm guessing, for Jesus. Like, I just got done, you know, arguing with these guys. And now you're going to continue on with more? I've been watching uh, Gladiator. How many of you have seen Gladiator? That's a great movie. I love it. If you, if you want to watch a nice, barbaric, uh, bloody movie, go watch that one. Uh, Russell Crowe is amazing in that movie. And uh, towards the end of it, he, he has to fight the, the undefeated champion of the gladiator. He's like been retired for five years. He comes out and he has to defeat him. And halfway through, the, the, the tiger comes out of the, out of the pit and jumps on Russell Crowe, so he's got to fight the tiger too, you know, and I feel like that's kind of what it is. It's, it's a struggle of these different characters that, that Jesus is having to deal with, and ultimately Jesus beats them all, you know. He's like, hey, I'm going to beat you, and now you're coming at me. All right, cool, I'll beat you too, and then some more people decide to come, and he's like, all right, I'm going to, you know, put you back in your place where you're supposed to be, you know. And so, this is what the Sadducees are doing. They're, they're, they're coming in, okay, we just talked about taxes and, and religion. So now, now we're going we're gonna to talk about family. How can, how can you be decisive now? Start asking questions about family. I'm a single dude, so talking about family is kind of hard for me. I can tell you how to raise kids. If we want to listen and look at the Bible, Jesus talks a lot about kids also. And he was single. But I mean, to, to tell Dave how to raise his daughter, Brooklyn, probably isn't going to be very high on the, on the list of what he's going to listen to me about, you know. But I can start an argument with him about it, very easily about it, you know. Or it'd be like with Andrew, you know. Hey, Andrew, you're about to have a baby. Guess what? This is what you should do. You should hold the kid upside down. I'm kidding. Don't, you know. You guys want to start an argument? We can start one about that, you know, and that's easy because... I don't have a kid. But this is, this, is what the Pharisee, this is what the Pharisees and Sadducees are doing. They're starting an argument about family. And so the first point that I have in this is that the God of the living will resurrect the believers to be with him. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They only believed in the first five books of, of Moses. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The five books. And sometimes they disregard some of the different things in there. You know, they'd be like, oh, well, we don't quite believe that, so we're not going to take that, you know, into account. They, they didn't believe in immortality or spirits and angels, which is interesting because in Deuteronomy 22, I believe, it talks about Balaam, the, the donkey donkey, you know, and the spirit, the angel there. And it's written down, and yet they don't believe it. They don't believe in certain things, but other things they're okay with. They were worldly-minded, and they wanted to cooperate with the Romans. So they were willing to go to any extreme as long as they could hold their power with the Romans. The Sadducees asked this hypothetical and rather ridiculous question, hoping to show the resurrection was nonsense. They're like, hey, there's a wife who has one husband. 
he dies, and a second, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth, and a seventh. There's seven brothers at this point that have married this woman. Who's she going to be married to in the resurrection? Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors and, and, and dead dudes, uh, once said, uh, this was probably one of their stock stories that they were in the habit of telling in order to cast ridicule upon the resurrection. I mean, doesn't it sound ridiculous? Seven husbands. Who's going to be the husband in heaven? You know? But Jesus skips right over all that. and He goes, you know what? You're missing the point here. It says the sons of this age are, are, are marrying and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and into the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. You know, they, they, don't, they don't have the afterlife to worry about. We don't know what it's going to be like in the, in, in the afterlife. And while this might disappoint some of you that are married... And this might be a joy to hear for some of us that are single, that, hey, there's going to be no marriage up in heaven. It's great for me. You know, right now I'm single. But that's not the point that Jesus is making. He's saying we'll still have family ties, but it's going to far exceed what we believe. Will you still be married up there? Could be. But we're going to be partying with Jesus. We do know that family relationships will still exist in heaven. And this is, the, this is reference from Jesus from Luke 16, 27 and 28. It's the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus, if you guys remember from that one, was the one that died, went to heaven, and was at Abraham's bosom. And the rich man went to hell and he said, Hey, you need to tell the rest of my brothers about hell and heaven so that they will believe. And unfortunately, there was no crossing over between heaven and hell, but there's definitely a remembrance of that. The rich man is aware. So down in hell, the way it sounds from what Jesus is talking about, you're aware. Up in heaven, you're aware because it says that we're not going to be given in marriage and, and, and be given in marriage. The resurrection will far surpass our own understanding, and we won't be disappointed with the living arrangements in heaven. If I'm going to be in a house full of 50 dudes like it is in college, it ain't going to matter to me because I've got Jesus. I'm not even sure if there's going to be sleeping there because it says that the, that the sun is the, the light. You know? There will be many in heaven who have had more than one spouse for any number of reasons, whether it's been death unfaithfulness, or any other things. Jesus is telling us here that jealousy and exclusion will not happen and that the Sadducees were trying to produce with this question. They're saying, all right, seven brothers, who's going to be there? I can imagine, I can only imagine what that's going to be like if, if there's seven brothers. I have two of them and I get jealous and I want to exclude some of them from different things. And that's just my own sinful desire that that's what I want to do. There's things that I am so jealous of my brother sitting in the back that he does or that he has that I don't. And then there's times where I'm like, I don't want to be around you. You drive me up a wall. Go away. Leave me alone. And somehow he still finds out about these you know, shenanigans that I do. Jesus is telling us, yeah, it, you know, it'll far exceed our expectations. Jesus is saying it doesn't matter whether you're going to be given in marriage or you're going to be married or not. So it's good news for those of us that are married, those of us that are single, those of us that are still growing. 
where we're going to be. It'll far exceed what we believe with our earthly relationships. We're going to be worshiping the Trinitarian God, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I'm super excited about that. Paul talks about that, you know, for me to die is to gain because he's going to heaven. I'm excited about it. The second point of this is, is the God of the living knows us personally. In verse 37, it says, But the dead are raised. Even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jesus uses the Sadducees' own belief. They believe in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy against them to answer their question. The God of living knows us personally. The burning bush in Exodus 3, so you got Genesis, Exodus, something that the Sadducees would believe in. Uh, Exodus 3, 6 presents us with the present tense. It says, I am the God of the Father of... Or, hold on, let me, let me go find it so I get it right. It says, and he said, I am... The God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. It's not a past tense. He's not saying, I was the God of these people. I wasn't the God of these other people. But rather, he is the God of the resurrection. We will live with God. They will live, um, these three people, Isaac and Abraham and Jacob, are also individuals. He knows us personally. They're mentioned by name, by God, in the, in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. It goes on later in a couple more verses that it talks about David sitting there with his Lord. God knows us personally. He knows each and every one of us as, as persons, not as a collective group, not as a group of the well, not as Christians, not as people of the United States of America or Hastings or anything like that, but He knows us personally. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob live as sons of God. The interesting thing is that by being named personally, they're not lost. Whenever you see a lost person, whenever there's a lost person and they're on TV looking for them, they're like, help me find my child. Their name is this. Go find them. God is saying, I know who they are. I know where they're at. God knows that they're not lost. We know where they are. They're in heaven. They're one of the great saints. You can read about it in Hebrews as being one of the greats. We know where they are and so does God. You know, we go back to, to the Lazarus and, and the rich man. It says that the Lazarus was sitting with Abraham with his bosom. He was with him. Charles Spurgeon also said that a living God is the God of living men and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. And so that, my friends, shows us that there is a resurrection. He knows us personally, and He names them. My point three on this passage is that God of the living rules forever on the throne. This is verses 41 through 44 in Luke. And He said to them, When I sent you out with... Or, nope, wrong one. One page too far. I was trying to jump ahead. Get you guys a little further. 
But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is son of David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? I love this question, this, this thinking of Jesus. You know, he, he, he's like, all right, you guys want to talk about family? First, you guys want to talk about politics and, and about religion. Cool, I'll answer your question on that. And then, he's, then they're like, hey, what about marriage? Well, what's the next logical thing that comes out of marriage? Hopefully kids. I hope kids come out of that. And so Jesus is like, all right, I don't even have to know what you guys are going to ask next. I'm just going to answer for you, and I'm going to pose the question to you, you know, whose son is the Christ? You know, Jesus already knows what the next question is supposed to be. King David actually opened up Pandora's box for us by stating that the Savior will be his Lord, but the Savior would also be the offspring of David or the son of David. Jesus refers to himself as being the son of David, being the offspring of David, and it's also referred to in the Old Testament that he's going to be that. And so then Jesus ends up opening up Pandora's box. You guys ever have that Pandora's box? You know, it, it, or I guess the one that I'm thinking of is Schrodinger's cat. Is a cat alive or not? Never mind. But Pandora's box, you know, it, it just opens up the big box of like, uh-oh, we got too many questions and not enough answers. What's the deal? Jesus is stating in this point that he is both Lord of David and also the Son of David. Jesus was before time, but he also is part of it. Jesus is getting to the root issue right here. He's getting to the heart issue. The, 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 the scribes and, and, and the guys there did not care who Christ was. They were missing who he was. They had the entire Old Testament referring who Jesus was, and they were missing over it. And he gets to the heart issue, and he says, do you really know who I am? I'm telling you, this person that David is writing about is me. I'm the son of David. I'm the son of God. I'm both. And they're missing it. Jesus is fully God and fully human. That's how Jesus is able to say both he's the root and the offspring of David in Revelation 22:16. He also says that in Revelation 1:8, he's the Alpha and the Omega which is Latin for the beginning and the end. He's the A to the Z. He's the beginning of time. He's the end of time. Our concept of time was when the world was created to the end. We don't know when the end is, but at that point, time will end and we'll go be with Jesus. Guys, point four that I have in this part about beware of the scribes warns us of the living God, or warns that the God of the living warns us, warns us of hypocrisy among the leaders. I need to tread carefully with this topic because I'm not saying you guys can get out your bows and arrows and start shooting me with arrows because of what I'm about to say. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, beware the scribes, beware the people that are your leaders, the ones that, that say one thing and then do something else. The scribes are the ones that are the fashionistas, they're the ones that stand up and they're like, hey, look at me, I'm in robes and I look the best. We have a deal here at the, at the well that says that if you're supposed to be on stage, you're supposed to look a little more dressed up. And I come from old school, 
you know, church stuff where it says that if you get up and you preach, you're supposed to be in at least a nice button-down shirt and a tie, preferably. So I still kind of got that old-school feeling to us. So that's why I'm up here in a, sh in a shirt and a tie. I'm not lording it over you by any means. So don't hear that. I'm not saying I'm wearing the best either. This is all Walmart stuff. My entire shirt and stuff costs like $30, okay? So definitely not the $400, $500 suit and stuff. But these scribes, they were the fashionistas. They were the ones that wore the finest of the finest. They wore the Cadillac version of clothing. They were men of leisure. So they'd sit back and they'd watch others while they worked. They would tell other people, hey, go work and go do that. And you see the money pot that the people are putting in for the, for the offering? Go move that. I'm too special to do that. They wanted to have the recognition. So they, when they'd sit at certain places, they'd sit either way up at the front or they'd make sure that they were told to sit up at the front. They wanted all the, 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 the recognition. They wanted to have the recognition, too, of being, you know, godly and holy and stuff, when really they weren't. They wanted to lord it over, and they wanted to demand the best seats. Go to a midnight showing of a movie theater and think about that. If you're one of the last people in it, you can walk in and say, nope, that's my seat. You're out. That'd be pretty cool, I think. I could pick wherever I wanted to sit. And that's exactly what these scribes were doing. They're saying, hey, I'm the best. Give me my seat. They would have the status and they'd have the privilege. They would be able to do that. Say, hey, this is where I'm sitting and there's nothing you can do about it. They would sit at the right hand of the person eating at the table. The head person would sit at the end because that was where the power was. And they'd sit there. They would also pretend to help the widows and the, the orphans. Widows usually had money because they weren't allowed to own land, so they'd get all this money, and then they'd say, hey, we'll help you out, and they'd take all their money and keep it for themselves. They mismanaged their belongings. They got big gifts to attain their status because they would be in, in cahoots with the Romans, and they would take it, and they'd use it for their own gain. Jesus is saying, beware of the scribes for make long prayers. There's nothing wrong with having a long prayer, but when it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and babbling, it becomes wrong. Making you think that you're their spiritual. They'd pray about rain, and then they'd pray about rain next week, and then they'd pray about the soil, and God doesn't really care about that. He wants to know your heart. It's okay to pray for rain or to pray for the rain to stop, but to keep praying for something that God gives us common grace on, we don't need to worry about. <coughs> they would make long prayers so that you would think that they're spiritual. And I hear this a lot. They're like, man, you, you make good prayers, or hey, Pastor Joe does, or, or Andrew does. You know why? Because we practice. We talk to God. It's a normal conversation. And there's, there's a reason why I like Andrew's prayers. They get right to the point. Hey, God, thank you. We're musicians. We're going to go play. Let's, let's play. let's play some good music. And let us worship you. Amen. 
all right, guys, let's go play some music. And it's like, hey, this is great. It covered everything that we needed to know about. He didn't stop and start talking about, you know, people traveling along the interstate. And, you know, he wasn't talking about the fish in the sea, you know. And, and it gets to the point. That's what God wants us to do. Get to the point. You know. Beware of the scribes, for they will receive a greater condemnation. Jesus is saying, look out. If you're not careful and you become like these scribes, you've already got your reward. You're doing it for people to see you doing this. The, scri the scribes were experts at projecting an image. Jesus is saying that if, if, if there's somebody up front that is leading you, and they're living one way, and they're telling you to live a different way, you need to call them out. If I'm standing up here and I'm saying, you guys don't go to the bar and get drunk, but then you guys see me at the bar five nights a week, probably should come talk to me. If I say that, you know, you need to be a man of one wife, of one woman, and yet for some reason it comes out that there's four, five, six, even two women, what do you think you should do? Probably come talk to me. Say, hey, you're telling us one thing and you're living a different way. You probably should not be in a power of leadership. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, look out for the scribes. Look out for the ones that are saying one thing and doing another. I definitely need to have a mirror up in my face right now. You know, I'm on this side of heaven, which means I'm not perfect, but I'm growing. The God of the living will resurrect us to be with him. As we get ready to wrap up on stuff, I can't even see the time. The God of the living will resurrect us to be with him. Okay, kind of reviewing over a little bit. The God of the living will resurrect us to be with him. The God of the living knows us personally, like a father to his children. Talks about Father God, you know, Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. The Father knows us personally. All throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament refers back to the Old Testament. You can read about it even in Hebrews. The Hall of Faith talks about all sorts of different great Bible characters from the Old Testament. There's Noah, there's Daniel, David, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're all referred to in the New Testament. Going back to the Old Testament. God knows who we are personally. The God of the living will rule forever on the throne. Jesus is king. We got an election coming up. You want to know where I stand on stuff? I don't care. I don't care. Jesus is still my king. God institutes good people in government, and he also institutes bad people in government. And my microphone is whacking out now. Stupid sound demons. <clears throat> it doesn't matter. God still rules. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is king. I don't have anything to worry about. They want to come around and persecute me? Go for it. I've gotten to the point where I'm like Paul. To die is to gain. The God of the living warns us of the hypocrisy among leaders. Those who want to tickle the listener's ears. 
and take advantage of others to make gains of their own. Hypocrisy among the leaders, those who want to tickle the listeners' ears. You see that a lot on TV preachers. Or take advantage of others. You see that a lot too. I'll tell you something. I know somebody that hasn't taken a, a pay raise in four years when that person should have that I can think of. How many of us would go four years without a pay raise and still be at that same job? There's people out there that don't want it for their own gain. You know, or you take from one job to the next job and you take a pay cut and we hear about how much I hate this, I'm getting paid less. Be careful of those people that take advantage of others to make their own gains, especially leaders. I can tell you right now, leaders of the well aren't in it for it, for the money. Instead, Jesus is the living God. He has defeated sin and death and carried his cross to his death on it. For three days he was dead and rose again and knows us personally. So tonight, as uh, the music team makes its way up here, we're going to do things a little bit differently than what we normally do. Here at the well, we really value prayer. And that's something that we as a leadership team has felt like it's been lacking in recent times. Every week you see one or two people standing down here. I'll be down here at some point ready to pray. But it seems like I stand up here a lot by myself. Or the other person does. So we want to try something a little differently. We're going to have the music team play the first song that they played at the beginning. Jesus paid it all. But I don't want you guys to sing along. What I want you to do is I want you guys to get in groups of two to three. And pray for some specific things that's coming up. The first one that I want you guys to pray for specifically is to pray for our government. Pray for our election. Pray for those that are, that are supposed to be elected. Pray for the mayor that is supposed to be elected. Pray for, you know, the senators, for congressmen, for our presidentially elected, you know, the ones that are supposed to be elected. So our music team is going to play. If you guys want to start play, playing. I want you guys to get into groups of two or three, possibly four. Start now and start praying for a few minutes.
want you to pray for the lost people that they might find a church home. Pray for the 17,000 people that are in the city of Hastings that they might find a church home. If that's the well, great. If it's another Bible-believing church, pray for that. Pray for a church that they might find. God, thank you for um, for what it means to be a child of God, to be a child of the resurrection. God, thank you that we serve you who sits on the throne forever. God, thank you. Thank you for our, the people that are in our government. God, thank you for the election that's coming up. God, I pray that uh, you'll just continue to have your hand in it. Um, God, I just want to pray for the lost people um, here in the city of Hastings, the 17,000. Uh, God, I pray that the, whoever you might bring them to might be the well. And so, God, thank you for that. In your name, amen. Tonight, we will be taking communion. This is the answer to what Jesus asked earlier. Do you really know who I am? Do you really know who Jesus is? It's the ultimate question. Communion is a symbol of Jesus' broken and bloodied body poured out for our sins. 
yours and mine. Partaking in communion shows the world who you think Jesus really is. Those of you that come down and take communion, you're saying, I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And for a lot of people, that's offensive. And for a lot of us that are believers, it's comforting. It's showing that He's your Lord and Savior, ruling forever on that throne. And He knows you by name at that point. Communion is for believers only. It doesn't mean that you have to be a part of the well or a member, but that you just have to believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Coming down here is, if you don't believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's a meaningless ritual. And in fact, you're actually heaping death on yourself. Let's take communion. There will be a couple of us down here after communion to pray for you if you need any prayer. So thanks. Thank you for letting me preach. Let's worship Jesus in communion and in song. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.